Super Talk Mississippi media production. And now it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by J. Allen Toyota and AGJ Systems and Networks on Super Talk 103.1 FM. Welcome to Coast View, the show that celebrates the men and women who are making coastal Mississippi and Mississippi, for that matter, a better place to live, work, and play. I hope you're having a great Wednesday and that uh, things are, are so, sort of settling down for you after a, a busy 4th of July weekend and lots of weather. I'm so sick of rain, I can't stand it. Uh, my son, Jordan, who fishes around the house a lot after work this time of year, instead of catching specks and redfish, he's catching bass. That's not good for July. <laughs> not good. Boy, do we need to get offshore. The weather, man, we need it to we need to get back into the afternoon thunderstorm pattern again. This is this is absolutely ridiculous. Hey, listen, uh, you've heard me talk about this before, but go outside and take a deep breath of coastal Mississippi's salt air, and you'll experience what I like to say often. Uh, what John Muir says: Nature's peace will flow into you like sunshine flows in the trees. Man, do we know that in coastal Mississippi? This place we live in, the paradise of coastal Mississippi, has a way of kind of connecting to your soul, doesn't it? It, it certainly has connected to mine, and it's, that's what's at the base of Coast View these days. You know, I'm not going to talk too often about national issues. We're gonna, I want to mention one here in just a second, and then we're going to get an update on the Conservation Trust Fund, something that I care deeply about. I'm passionate about it, something we've got to get done. And I've got two special guests, and we're going to talk about that here in just a second. But, but as it relates to national issues, I'm not going to talk about them unless they really apply to us here in coastal Mississippi, unless there's really kind of a serious uh, application here or impact here. And when I do, though, I'm going to try to connect the dots, because sometimes if you don't remember certain aspects, it's hard to understand a, a national issue. And uh, I'll try to get back to the basics when I do. So let's just start with this at a macro level, at a very high level. If you think about this economy that we're in today, it's very robust coming out of the pandemic. But on a micro level, there's a lot of interconnected pieces. It's very sensitive dynamics that are pleasant presently at play. And it's really complicated and it affects kind of every aspect of our lives. So what I want to do today is just talk a little bit about that, and in particular, one aspect of that oil, and we'll come we'll come to the oil ingredient here in just a second. But, you know, about every single business you know of is struggling to meet demand and hire employees. That's just, that's the reality of coming out of the pandemic. I even read a story the other day that said that even 40% of those who are employed are going to be looking for other jobs because they, during the pandemic, they had a chance to soul search, et cetera. So there's a lot of moving around going on, and it's going to be dynamic for a while. So that just adds to the challenge for for businesses. Think about the airline industry and what they've had to do to ramp back up again and the struggles they had, say, over the 4th of July uh, weekend. You you see lots being written about that and talked about. Um, If you just think about prices in general, they seem to be up across the board. And right now, it's more, more, at least the Federal Reserve is hoping this is the case, more about supply and demand, and that the long-term... You know, risks associated with inflation that 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 they're still kind of low. Um, that what we're experiencing is inflation that's really more about the uh, the ramp up that businesses are struggling with to to meet demand. So we see a lot of high prices right now. But the one area that's really struggling and it's important to us is OPEC. 
Um, during the pandemic, you know, just think about it. People weren't driving their cars. They weren't doing the kind of things they normally do. There was this huge glut of oil out there. And because of that, price of oil and our gas continue to fall. But now we need OPEC to actually increase production again. And until they do, the price of oil is going to continue to go up. So is the, the price of gas we play, pay at the pump of the price of gas at we pay at the pump it will it will continue to go up as well but at a time when we need opec to have their their act together they don't have their act together they're actually in a really significant dispute specifically saudi arabia and the united arab emirates are at, at at sort of loggerheads with one another and at the recent opec meeting they literally had to end the meeting they couldn't find a resolution of the dispute between saudi arabia and united arab emirates so essentially what that is doing and at least in the short term is it creates an oil crisis uh, let me remind you what opec is opec is is um and this is literally straight from wikipedia the stated mission of the organization is to coordinate and unify petroleum policies of its member countries and ensure the st stabilization of oil markets in order to secure uh, efficient economic and regular supply, supply of petroleum to consumers. It goes on from there. But the current at OPEC members are these, Algeria, Angola, Equatorial Guinea, Gabon, uh, Iran, Iraq, Kuwait, Libya, Nigeria, the Republic of Congo, Saudi Arabia, who incidentally is the de facto leader, United Arab Emirates, who they're sort of in a conflict with, and Venezuela. By the way, you don't see Russia or the United States on that list. <laughs> you should know this, that we still import a significant amount of oil from Russia. Um, in 2020, it was about 538,000 barrels a day. That was up from, from uh, 2019 when we were doing 5,000 Oh, excuse me, 520,000 uh, barrels a day. Um, and so for the last six months of 2020, going into January 2021, we continue to increase the production of oil from, or the, the import of oil from Russia. Essentially, even with the frosty relationship with Russia, we still are very dependent on Moscow's oil. Now, here's a list you may not be aware of, the top five importers. Canada is number one. In fact, if you think about Mississippi, the number one trade relationship we have is with Canada. 52% of all oil for the entire United States comes from Canada. <clears throat> People think that it's coming from the Middle East, but it's not. 11% from Mexico, 7% from Russia, only 7% from Saudi Arabia. I say only 7%. It's enough to really impact things. And Colombia, 4%. We've got to move toward energy independence, and it's something you'll hear a lot of discussion about. What I worry about is that in the Biden's administration pushed to decrease oil production, they, they were in such a rush to do that for all their stated reasons that they didn't fully understand or even wait to understand what the impact of the pandemic was going to be and all that. So essentially what you have now is a lot of variables that are swirling all at the same time, and it didn't need to be this way. They should have just hold their horses and understood what the situation is, and that their goal is to reduce uh, production in, in the United States. They should have done so within, uh, within the guides of understanding you know, sort of what the global situation was related to oil. We're going to keep an eye on that. It's a, it's a very dynamic situation, and we can, we'll continue to see gas prices go up until they can solve their 
sort of disputes uh, there within OPEC. So now let's move on. I want to talk about the latest on the Conservation Trust Fund. If you've not heard this conversation before, you know, really, if you, especially if you're an outdoorsman, if you enjoy being in the outdoors, w- listen carefully to the rest of this show because we're going to help remind you what this is all about, what the holdup is, what our competitor states are doing. And, um, you know, there's a lot, lot to unfold here, but we have two special guests. Both of them been on the show several times. Uh, first, I want to introduce Ed Penny, who's the director of public policy for Ducks Unlimited in the southern region. He's based in Jackson, but he covers state and federal policies from areas from New Mexico all the way up to Virginia. And also Alex Littlejohn, he's the Mississippi State Director for the Nature Conservancy. Good morning, Ed and Alex. How are you guys doing? Doing great, Rick. Great to see you again. So, uh, okay, well, Alex, you know this well, but Ed, you especially know this. While we may in, we, we may import fifty two percent of our oil from uh, Canada, we also we also import a bunch of ducks from Canada, don't we? We do import a bunch of t- ducks, and unfortunately, it's pretty dry. I'm hoping that we get some rain coming through the Midwest this week and next, but it has been pretty dry, so things are not looking very good up there. I hate to hear it too, because, you know, at our place up in the Delta, I would say if you go back four years, we have seen the the population of ducks, the the migration of ducks, go down, 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 down. And, uh, you know, usually after the season shuts down, we start to see a, a relatively large influx of ducks, like in February, so to speak. But one day we'll We'll spend some time and talk about all that. Hey, before we get into the conservation conservation trust fund, Ed, why don't we start with you? What are you up to these days? I mean, what's what's a day in the life of Ed Penny look like at Ducks Unlimited? A day in the life of Ed Penny at Ducks Unlimited. Uh, I wish I was able to get on the radio with you more often, Ricky. Uh, but most of what I do uh, doesn't really change throughout the year except during duck season. Uh, but this time of year, we're educating lawmakers, we're educating policymakers, we're taking them out on tours to show them uh, the habitat projects that we work on, to show them the areas that we work that we all work so hard to protect and conserve. So it's more education and outreach. Uh, we're not in the state capitals uh, day day in and day out like we are in the spring and winter. Uh, but it's we're also engaging our grassroots members. In Mississippi, we have about 10,000 DU members, uh, and it's my job to educate them about what their lawmakers are doing. So in Mississippi, we got to tell them what's happening with the Outdoor Stewardship Trust Fund. So that's really what I'm doing nowadays. So, uh, Alex, uh, we've got less than a minute in this segment. We can pick up on the other side, but what's the day in the life of Alex look like? It's pretty much the same as Ed described. We, we're getting out meeting people where they are. Uh, trying to get on the ground, moving some projects forward across the state. A little different aspect from my role versus Ed is I've got a fair amount of responsibility in fundraising for the chapter. So getting out in front of donors and uh, each chapter in TNC across the U.S. has a board of trustees that manages our, our yearly operations, getting out in front of them. And really the topic of conversation is at the end of the day, if, unless you're a Mississippi State Bulldog fan, it's the Outdoor Stewardship Trust Fund. But, you know, shout out to mine and Ed's alma mater. We're now national champions, too. So that, that carries a lot of the conversation forward. 
So let's do this. We'll pick it up on the other side with uh, Ed Penny and Alex Littlejohn, and we'll talk about the Conservation Trust Fund. So if you have don't know about that, pay attention to what's coming next. I think you'll be really glad you did. We'll be see you after this after, after this break. View on Super Talk 103.1 is brought to you by J. Allen Toyota on I 10 exit 38 Gulfport. See all the incredible inventory at allentoyota.com. And remember, when you think Toyota, think J. Allen Toyota. Talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Kofi. We have Ed Penny with us today and Alex Littlejohn. They're both uh, they're regular guests here on uh, Kofi. Ed's with Ducks Unlimited and Alex is with the Nature Conservancy. And we're going to talk about the Outdoor Stewardship Fund. I call it the Conservation Trust Fund. But uh, you'll understand why this subject is really important. But before we go any further, let me let me you know we had to we kind of had to rush off when Alex was talking. But two things, Alex. Number one. As it relates to Mississippi State, man, what a great run that was! I know Ed, you're you're a big fan as well. You're your alma mater as well. Um, but man, was it great to see Mississippi State finally go all the way? Yeah, it's good. It was just good to see Mississippi win in general. I, I mean, I'm a I was born and raised in Oxford. Watched a fair amount of Ole Miss baseball growing up, and and watched it change with Bianco coming on board. Went to Mississippi State, and I would tell you, I probably didn't miss more than a dozen games at Duty Noble. And it was just nice to sit there shoulder to shoulder with my dad and watch that final game and watch him finally win. And the uh, only regret I have is that my grandfather didn't get to see it. He was he was a staunch Bulldog, and he would have loved every bit of it. You know, I had the opportunity to spend time in Alabama, um, had responsibilities for Mobile, Birmingham, Huntsville and uh, and other other products in that in that state. I'm fr- I'm from Birmingham. I was born in Bar- Birmingham. Uh, came to the Miss- coast of Mississippi when I was four years old. But there's a unique relationship between sort of just about everybody in that state who aren't Auburn fans in Alabama. I mean, you know, they're the blue collar people who never even went to the University of Alabama follow Alabama football. And I compared Mississippi State baseball in sort of the same kind of way. So it's a unique thing in America, isn't it, Ed? It is. It is. And, and I like what Alex said about finally being on top. We know that we've had the best baseball program in America for the longest time. And we've been so close so many times. So many talented guys have come through that program and they all can celebrate this achievement. It's pretty amazing. Really good. And like one other thing, Alex, I, I, I know this to be the case. Actually, you and I are going to visit on your on your on your upcoming visit. And that is that you put a lot of miles in your car, don't you? I spend a lot of time on the road. That's probably where I love being the most. I don't like being behind this desk, as Ed will tell you. <laughs> this is not where conservation gets done or the efforts we try to pursue get done. So being out on the road is a second home to me. I know it is. Okay, so let's do this. Ed, let's start with the basics here. Okay, so um, I'm, I'm going to uh, – I'll, I'll say – 
basic kind of where the headline is now, and then let's take a step back and talk about what it is. So first of all, this Outdoor Stewardship Fund, the bill passed the House of Representatives. I even talked to uh, the Speaker of the House about it this week on Coastview. 117 to 2. It passed. It goes over to the Senate. And uh, Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman triple refers the bill, gets a lot of pressure from the, from the conservation outdoors community. He gets it out. But what, what comes out is a bill that is essentially gutted. It's not even it doesn't even bear resemblance to the bill that was there that came out of the House. It was really a non-starter for a coalition that developed. And we're going to talk about this coalition in just a second. Um, I was super critical of uh, Delbert Hoseman and his uh, not uh, lack of support of that bill. I did, I, you know, I, I understand. I've studied in great detail. I've listened to him on Super Talk. I've, uh, I've read everything he's had to say about it. I get what he's saying, but I just think he's wrong about it. I look forward to sitting with him, uh, you know, in the in the near future. He'll also be on Coast View in the near future. We'll talk more about that. Um, I, I'm hoping that the clear light of day and some space between, you know, the the session closing and where he is today, that he's had time to think about the political ramifications of sort of being opposed to a bill that is supported so widely by the outdoors community. Uh, we'll come back to some of those mechanics here in just a second. So let's let's take a step back and Ed, kind of give us what is this bill all about? So this bill, the Outdoor Stewardship Trust Fund, last year is House Bill 1231, but it'll be different uh, next year, this coming year. What this bill and what this legislation is intended to do is create a a dedicated trust fund to support the things that Mississippians most care about. Ricky, you talk about it all the time, but the outdoors is truly what makes Mississippi so special and so unique. And this trust fund would ensure that the habitat, the waters, the lands, the clean air that we all enjoy and take for granted, that we have that for the future. If there's one thing that Mississippi does all too often is we take that stuff for granted and this trust fund would support that through leveraging funds. And we can talk about more about that more later and throughout this show. But we're matching dollars. We're creating additional funding for those things, those places that we care so much about. And so we're only one of two states in the southeast that that that, that are, are without a fund like this. And essentially what's happening is that. States like Georgia and Florida and North Carolina and others, they're taking 15, 20, 25 million dollars and they're leveraging that to nearly 100 million dollars. And essentially what they're able to do with that money on an annual basis is do really significant projects that really cover the waterfront in terms of outdoor enjoyment. These are not the kind of projects that you just decide to go do. It, it, it requires partnerships and organizations like you two guys have. It requires a lot of innovation. Sometimes it's a multi-year, you know, ramp up to do a project like what we're talking about. Um, you you have to know that that money is stable two or three years from now, so you can do some of the projects that we, you'd be involved in. But the amount of innovation that's happening in our bordering states is very significant as it re as it relates to the outdoors. The, the what I often say, Ed, and and just one more comment about this. What I often say is that by not having that bill pass, that would enable us to start a process that would allow us to get the matching funds, we've lost another year of investments. So let's say if it maxed out at uh, $15 million on year number three, 
we might be able to turn that into 30, 40, 50 million dollars in terms of matching funds. So we've we've missed out on that kind of investment in Mississippi's outdoors for another year. And that's to me that's part of the tragedy of this. We get we fall further behind and um and we're not making the investments that we need to make. What what would you add to that, Ed? Yeah, I mean, missed opportunities are all too often what we talk about in Mississippi and we're tired of the status quo. Uh, we want to make things better. I mean, Alex and, and I and so many others in our coalition and so many voters in Mississippi want to make our state better. Uh, supporting the outdoors through creating this trust fund can do exactly that. But like you just said, we are missing out on literally millions of dollars for our state. Okay, so um, Alex, come to you. Talk. We, we mentioned the coalition a couple of times, but what's the current status of the coalition? Yeah, we've regrouped uh, since session and put together what we would say is a kind of a path forward, knowing that Initiative 65 and the ramifications from that. We know we're going back to the state capitol next session. Um, we're watching, watching what our neighboring states are doing with similar legislative bodies. Uh, just this morning, CNN reported that Governor DeSantis signed $400 million of investments in conservation in Florida, all private lands. Uh, the North Carolina um, legislative body is currently negotiating $350 million to $500 million in investment in conservation in that state. There's been a dozen or so states that have re-upped or increased their investments in conservation. So this is, this is not something that is unusual or uncommon that we're trying to pursue in Mississippi. And, you know, as the coalition goes, we're getting our feet back under us and saying, all right, we, we see where this fell apart and we know what our hurdles are moving forward and we're trying to address those head on. Who are the members of the coalition? Well, right now it's us and Ducks Unlimited and um, you got the, wild, the Foundation for Wildlife, Fishery and Parks. I always have to pause for that. And... <clears throat> Wildlife Mississippi, and we still have the support of Delta Wildlife, Delta Council, as well as the other members that chimed in and gave us letters of support across the board. So just to, so people can understand, um, the, the, the path of least resistance should, should, should be and most likely will be legislation as opposed to going the initiative route, which can take, you know, think about initiative 65 that, that Alex just mentioned, medical marijuana. We know what the Supreme Court said about that. So the whole initiative process in Mississippi has some cleanup that needs to occur. They'll get it cleaned up and they'll, they'll be a voice for Mississippians in the initiative process. But we're kind of in a no man's land right now where they work through what the next steps are going to be as it relates to that. Not until they identify what then those next steps are, can you begin again to do an initiative process, which again, is multi-year process. So the legislative process is, is clearly the best route to go. Now, other states have gone the initiative process, and we could go to the initiative process too, and it's more than likely it would be a slam dunk because there's been a study done. Ed, what were the results of the study in terms of support for Mississippians for such a fund? I think 75% of Mississippians supported this issue when polled, so it was, it was above and beyond what what it would take to pass an initiative so yeah, and it cuts it, across yeah demographics party lines the whole nine yards that's that's pretty significant support if you ask me yeah. 
When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation and talk about the legislative process and what some of the key components of it have to be in order for us to be successful. And we'll continue our conversation with Ed Penny and Alex Littlejohn after this break. Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. And now, it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by J. Allen Toyota, Gulf Coast Business Supply, and AGJ Systems and Networks on Supertalk 103.1 FM. Welcome back to Coast View. I have... Ed Penny from Ducks Unlimited and Alex Littlejohn from the Nature Conservancy. And we're talking about the Outdoor um, Stewardship Trust Fund. I call it the Conservation Trust Fund, but should probably call it what it really is. At the end of the day, it's about creating a pool of money in Mississippi that we can then go out and get federal matching funds. I think a good place to start, guys, instead of trying to like talk about all the mechanisms of the bill, let's talk about what the lieutenant governor's objections were. And by the time this triple referral came back out, when we say the bill was gutted, why those characteristics that he changed were so important. So let's talk, Alex, you want to give it a go? And then Ed, you can kind of fill in the spaces. What were the main changes that that the lieutenant governor made to the bill? Certainly the, the changes that came from the Senate side of the equation was they they didn't like the diversion of existing tax. They wanted it to be appropriated and didn't like the amount. Okay, so okay. before we go for when we say diversion of existing tax, specifically what was the bill wanting to happen? Yeah, the the bill that was passed out of the House, the, the original bill, was going to divert a portion of the sales tax associated with sporting good items. And that, that, that was going to be capped at $15 million a year. Well, when it got to Senate, uh, the changes made there compared to the House was they didn't like that approach. They wanted to have the ability every year to just appropriate an amount for it not to be tied to a, a source such as sporting goods or self-tax associated with sporting goods. And then they didn't like the amount. Uh, from what we understand, they didn't like $15 million. They wanted it to be lower. And... The other changes made were significant as well. They they didn't like the participation of NGOs much. And those those members are the Nature Conservancy, Ducks Unlimited, uh, Delta Wildlife, Wildlife Mississippi. The people in this world every day that are that are moving this ball forward at the federal and state level. They didn't want us to participate or be able to participate in helping leverage funds or participating in leverage leveraging funds. Um, from federal sources, and then um, they didn't want they didn't want private lands conservation to be a part of it. So they didn't want any of the funds to go towards conservation on private lands. And I would tell you, any one of those is very significant. All three of them combined pretty much altered the bill so much that we couldn't support it as a coalition. Mainly because you need you need all three of those components to not only be innovative as our neighboring states are being, but you need the power um, of the amount of money 
and the coalition behind it to leverage more money down so that we're, we're, we're all speaking from the same sheet of music or singing from the same sheet of music. Lord, my grandmother would be, would be upset that I confused that. Um, <laughs> and, and not only that, we need private lands to be a part of it because, you know, over 80% of, of Mississippi is privately held and wildlife doesn't know, a, doesn't know a property line. Conservation doesn't know a property line. If it, I mean, if it's a state line or a county line or, or a private or public line, I mean, you've got to have all of those three um, to have the recipe for a good conservation foundation that we can use to put Mississippi on top and in a winning uh, in a winning category at the table that we need to be we need to be at. So so let's let's kind of break this down a little bit further. So the Senate under under Delbert Hoseman's leadership didn't like the 15 million. They wanted it to be less. So in the bill that came out of the Senate, it had no amount in there. Zero right. amount. Okay. Okay. So $15 million compared to what you mentioned about CNN reporting what happened over in Florida, 400 million in Florida, 400 million, hundred percent private land because they recognize that to do true conservation, you've got to get into private land. We're going to talk about that and the role of farmers play in this conversation in a big, big way here in just a second. So that's number one. Second, they didn't want NGOs. That, that, what that stands for is non-government organizations like the Sierra, excuse me, like, like um, uh, 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 Ducks Unlimited and the Nature Conservancy, okay? So, Ed, you guys are involved in programs all the time that involve federal government and private lands, and you're subject to you're subject to um, audits, federal audits, and the whole nine yards. This is this is what you do, isn't it? This is exactly what we do. So we take our and I, everybody knows our funding model, or should know, is we take our the dollars that we raise at a local DU banquet, we leverage that with state dollars from say a state duck stamp or for example, Outdoor Stewardship Trust Fund in Mississippi, if we get that passed, and then leverage that with other funding sources from the federal government that are already available through the Farm Bill, through North American Wetland Conservation Act, through the Land and Water Conservation Fund. And we do projects on very often public land. Uh, we, we do waterfowl habitat projects that we enjoy here in Mississippi that I've hunted on, that Alex has hunted on, that everybody in this entire state has got the opportunity to hunt on and hunt in. And that's the kind of projects we do. TNC does the same projects. All these conservation organizations that are on this coalition are doing similar projects. So we're all subject to stringent oversight from both the federal and the state government already. And furthermore, our membership expects us to do good things with the funding that they give us. So, you know, we're not afraid of oversight and transparency. And in fact, we very much invite it and enjoy it. So that's kind of where we are. So if you think think about this for a second, um, if you think about the non-government organizations like yours in partnership with the state, that seems like a, a great arrangement because essentially what we're doing is we're enabling you guys to go find innovative projects to do, 
to go find what the funding mechanism could be in, in terms of the matching funds. And essentially, you're sort of our legs and our innovative ears and minds out there working on, on what would ultimately be competing projects for who's going to get this money. And, the, you know, the best project's going to win. The, the one that has the most, uh, you know, the most impact is going to win. Ultimately, you know, Mississippi wins. That's how this works, okay? So as, as we go forward, though, one of the things that I've talked about often on this show is the fact that in my place up in the Delta, I, you know, we lease a lot of land from farmers. And um, we, we'd be toast if we weren't working with the farmer on doing improvements, habitat improvement. And the farmer is a critical element to that. There are things that we can do working together with just good sweat e equity and the right equipment. There are some things, though, that, that cost some money to do. And, uh, you know, we would like to be able to do them, but they're just too expensive to do. What we want to be able to do is be able to go get farm uh, act funds. Now, what the bill that came out of the Senate will not enable the Farm Act uh, money because farm uh, land is privately held. So about $7 billion is there now, but there's a, there's a lot of effort. The, I think the Walton uh, Family Trust and, and others are, are, are working with the Biden administration to push that number up to, what is it, Alex, $15 billion potentially or more? It's there's a there's an effort underway to get that tremendously increased, and we want to see that private lands. We want to see investments in private lands through the farm bill increased. Absolutely. So, so the stewardship uh, trust fund that came out of the Senate would not enable private lands. So, the largest bucket of money available currently is through the farm bill. But we would not be able to get that money because, at least from a matching uh, fund point of view, yeah. because yeah. we would not be able to go there. So it is the largest bucket of money, right? That's absolutely correct. The largest, largest funding vehicle for private lands in the entire country is the Farm Bill. And, uh, you know, you mentioned over 80 percent, but it's more like near 90 percent of That's the right. land in Mississippi is private, privately held. We're not trying, and by the way, this is, you know, you know, there's some large tracts of land for sure, but there are a lot of small tracts of land across the state. And we bring large tracts and big tracts together and have innovative programs in, on enhancing. And I looked at the list that you sent from North Carolina, and man, it's a wide range of projects. I mean, it, it really is incredible. I mean, some of it's on public land, some of it's on private land. You know, can give a sense of what some of the projects might look like, Alex. You know, from from our standpoint, boiling it down to Mississippi, those those potential projects that Ed and I would work on could be a conservation reserve program project where we reforest a big block of ground uh, in the Delta or outside the Delta, and the private landowner keeps keeps ownership, but we pay for re you know the reforestation or restoration on it. In, in South Mississippi, maybe it's a conservation easement along the Pascagoula River where the family's gotten together and says, hey, we don't want to sell this particular property, but we would love to make sure that it's protected moving into the future. So we would like to pursue a conservation easement, and that, that can be pursued across the state. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's landowners that want to, um, excuse me, maybe it's landowners that want to manage the habitat 
uh, such that they need fire on the ground, but they don't know how to do it. They don't have that technical expertise to do that. Um, I don't know who's after me, but they are after that's, that's me. That's okay, but that, well, let's do this. Let's go to break, and then when we come back on the other side, we'll continue to give some examples. But I love the idea around the Pascula River, largest undammed waterway in the United States. It's incredible complex. Go to Google Earth and look at the Pascula River estuary and complex. Man, it's unbelievable its value to Mississippi. And the opportunities we have to enjoy that are incredible. And what ways to enhance that would only improve our outdoor recreation here in coastal Mississippi. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Ed Penny and Alex Littlejohn. Talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. We're having a wonderful visit today about the outdoors in Mississippi and opportunities opportunities we have in front of us to enhance them with Ed Penny and Alex Littlejohn. Alex, one one other thing about about Florida, $400 million. They're going to go they're going to be able to then match that money. We're talking about putting putting a billion plus dollars once they once the match is done back into outdoor enjoyment in Florida. Man, that is unbelievable. And they'll be able to do it in partnership with the private landowner. You know, yeah. it's uh, it's really a true investment in the state's natural resources that they I can promise you see a return on be a, a quality of life tourism. I mean, Mississippi has a 90-mile coast, and, and we love it, and we, we want to treasure it, and we want to take care of it. But think of all the people that are traveling to Florida from Mississippi, just Mississippi. I mean, I'm headed there next week. Yeah. And, um, you know, I can promise you that return is, is, is quite incredible from a $400 million investment that they'll be able to leverage into a billion dollars. It, it really, really matters. Yeah, it really. And we're talking about 15 million. We can't even get 15 million. Unbelievable. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hey, Ed, so give me some more examples. Yeah, so late in the session, we started talking to some some legislators about what's going on in their communities because they need funding for their local parks. They need funding for their local open space areas, for trails, for for uh, river access, lake access, those types of things. And they're looking for investment. But right now, the, st- the state budget doesn't, doesn't have dollars for those kinds of projects. So the Outdoor Stewardship Trust Fund is a perfect vehicle for that. And they were supporting it. They were supporting it because of what it meant for their small towns. These aren't the Oxfords and DeSoto County or Gulfport. These are the small communities that most of us live in and, and sleep in every night. So. We're trying to invest in these smaller towns and communities as well. What's important about the coalition you guys have put together uh, represents such a large majority of outdoorsmen in the state, people who are involved in leadership. What's important is that you're able to raise a lot of money. I mean, it, 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 takes, it takes money to fight a fight like this. And unfortunately, unfortunately, we're having to fight that fight, at least as where we're sitting now. Hopefully, you know, between now and the legislative session, we can, uh, you know, cooler heads will prevail. Uh, the lieutenant governor will begin to understand more about some elements maybe he didn't get as well as, as he should have at the time. 
and that we can move this bill forward in a way, finding a great compromise and creating this fund so we can go out and get the matching funds and start doing these amazing projects across the state. Let's hope that's the case. But if it, if it doesn't happen, the coalition has incredible ability to raise money. I mean, you probably will raise 150, 200, maybe even more thousand, a hundred thousand dollars in order to, uh, in order to run a really well old machine uh, kind of campaign around this and focused on touching every single outdoorsman in the state of Mississippi and helping them understand why this is important to them. You know, we go enjoy the outdoors and not always do we understand the role government can play in helping us enhance that situation that we're enjoying. And now we get a chance to sort of connect the dots. Your enjoyment here, here's the role government can play to make this better. We're gonna we're gonna make we're gonna we're gonna connect the dots for you and get people involved in the political process so that maybe we can get the Senate on our side. I, I really do believe cooler heads will prevail and that we'll get an opportunity to uh, to 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 make this happen and and we can uh, you know quit falling behind in an area where we need to go move forward. I had Will Primus on the show recently. And it just it just boggles the mind and my mind and his mind that we can't already have this fund in place. More fifteen million, we need fifty million. Why wouldn't we be? I mean, if if they're going to do four hundred million in Florida, why wouldn't we be pushing for for a higher opportunity here? Uh, fifteen million seems small small potatoes in the scheme of Mississippi's contributions to the outdoor community across the United States. Uh, final word before we move on, uh, Alex. I mean you. You're speaking to the choir here. We, this would be and is going to be, because I'm an, I'm an optimist, and it's going to be a win for Mississippi, a win across the board. It's not just, as Ed alluded to, it's not just a, a hunting and fishing um, win. It's a win for your, your cities and communities and, and just the quality daily life in Mississippi. It's putting Mississippi first across the board. Ed, what would you add? Only thing I would add is conservation affects so much of what we do here, and and I'm privileged to get to talk about it with y'all. I appreciate the chance to talk about it again. Anytime we can talk about policy issues that matter to real Mississippians is a great is a great thing. So we look forward to continuing to work on this over the coming year. What's interesting is as we start to kind of wind things down. What's interesting to me is that when I have a show about this, I hear from a uh, a growing number of people who who say, you know, they really weren't paying attention. I'm paying attention now. Man, this is why wouldn't we already had this? Um, so we're going to continue. I know we're kind of in the off season from for the legislature right now, but we're not in the off season for enjoying the outdoors. And we're going to continue to to stay focused on educating people so they can understand the link between what they're doing and the role the government can play and making it better. I mean, it's that simple at the end of the day. And uh, we just got to do this. I feel so passionate about it. I've enjoyed the outdoors my entire life. And, um, and it saved my life. I know it saved your life, guys, Ed and, and, and Alex. We've had, we've had those conversations. Um, we're now showing it to our kids and, and, and God willing, they'll, they'll show it to their kids. And Mississippi will continue to lead the way in so many ways as it relates to the outdoor community. And as it relates to this trust fund, Hopefully, we'll be leading the way pretty soon. So anyway, Ed, thank you so much for spending some time with us. We'll see you in a couple months, and we'll, we'll continue the conversation. Alex, I'll see you tomorrow. So I look forward to you visiting with you, and we'll stay in touch. Uh, thank you for spending time with me this morning. Thank you, Rick. Care. Thank you. You bet, guys. We'll, uh, we'll see you, and have a great day.
follow Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.